Hello, and welcome to the Letters from Our Fathers podcast, where we explore the actual history of America's founding fathers from their own written words and personal correspondence, but without modern partisan political ideologies. I am your host, Roman. Now let's learn some real history. We have returned. This is the podcast where TLDR does not apply and the study of history is a way of life. We live it, we breathe it, we love it. Real history for real people who like real history. That's what we do here. I'm very happy to have you folks uh, with me on the study group here. We got a pretty good podcast, I think. Uh, pretty good episode, that is. Ready to uh, ride in here. We got another episode with Benjamin Franklin. He is going to be our guest on the show today. It's always great to have Dr. Franklin in here to uh, educate us as the uh, the wise old man from the Founding Fathers. Probably one of the best guests we will ever have on the podcast. Absolutely. And uh, looking forward to that. I did want to mention something about the previous episode. Really a poor choice of words on my part. I, and I did address it in the podcast just f- like for like two seconds uh, in my kind of uh, grumpy, agitated podcast critic voice and uh what is that that's that's when i that's when i bring in that voice like oh my gosh roman how dare you how dare you say all these terrible things about the king of england and and great britain and the parliament oh my gosh roman how dare that's the uh the grumpy agitated podcast uh critic voice but i really didn't address it beyond that and i wanted to kind of off the cuff i had referenced this uh this concept of the federal government engaged in some semblance of legal combat with the states over supremacy. And I knew at the time that some lawyer might try to pick that apart and say, well, you know, the supremacy clause, Roman, the supremacy, the supremacy clause is the law of the land. Of course, they're of course, they're fighting for supremacy. But that that's not what I was talking about. What I was ta- I'm not talking about the supremacy clause. I'm not I'm not I'm not I'm not going there. We will talk about that, by the way, when we get into the Constitution and start talking about it more at length. And I'll summarize it here. Basically, it's a um, it's the concept that the Constitution is the law of the land and when the federal government passes a law, so much as it pertains directly to their authority within the Constitution, they do have supremacy. And everybody knows that. Everybody pretty much accepts that. That's fine. But what I'm talking about is not that. When I say, when I said supremacy in the context of the last episode, I meant they are basically fighting for authority over everything. They are, the federal government today is basically trying to micromanage the United States of America to the point where it says that anything that we have an opinion about, the states don't have an opinion about it, and neither do the individuals, by the way. If we pass a law, it's it's law, and that's it. It doesn't matter if it agrees with the Constitution. It doesn't matter what's in the Constitution. It doesn't matter what the limits of the Constitution are. Doesn't matter. It's just law. And now it's our fiefdom, and the states no longer have any authority over it. That's what I'm talking about. And that is what's happening today. And if you don't believe that, I would strongly suggest you pay a very, very close attention to everything coming out of that absolute cesspool that is Washington, D.C. Yes, I said it. And ask yourself a couple of questions when you do. Where is this to be found in this thing that Congress is doing, whatever it is that they're doing? And not just Congress, but everybody, everybody in Washington, D.C. Where is this to be found in the Constitution of the United States? And what is the authority to actually do it, besides the fact that they just want to do it? And a lot of times, the answers that you're going to get to those two questions are nowhere and none. In other words, you will find it nowhere in the Constitution, and they have no, none, no authority uh, in that regard whatsoever. Why, Roman, can you give us an example of it? Yes, I absolutely can. I mentioned one that really makes people angry. Um... Whenever I bring this up, especially when I bring it up in polite company, and people are really invested in this concept, you know, it's the the Social Security Administration. There is absolutely no legal authority for that thing whatsoever. The Social Security Program, there is no legal authority to that whatsoever. There's just nothing in the Constitution that says the federal government can do that. Nothing. And the federal government can levy taxes. We know that. But can they create a program like that and... Basically, a de facto retirement scheme, which is really, and I study accounting, by the way, in college. That was my major. I have a passing familiarity with investment and finance and accounting, things things like that. I know a Ponzi scheme when I see one. And technically, the Social Security system is a Ponzi scheme. Um, it's like 
It's like if Bernie Madoff could print money, how long could he keep that thing going? And the answer is he could keep it going for a really long time. And that's what the Social Security Administration is in a nutshell. Now, that's basically what I'm talking about. And I, 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 I'm not, I don't mean to get political. And by the way, that's a that's not a partisan issue. On both sides of the coin, when it comes to politics in this country, both sides are so heavily invested in that concept, as flawed as it is, neither one will oppose it. So I am very much on my own when I when I say things like what I just said. And many people will disagree with me, including lawyers and so on and so forth. And the reason why they will is because they get caught up in this concept of just what is allowed to happen. And I am going to have a longer discussion about this at some point in the future, about lawyers and how they view the Constitution. And they don't view the Constitution like I do. When I, when I, when I read the Constitution, I read it for what it literally says on paper. Uh, what does that, what does it literally mean? Which is how it's supposed to be read, by the way. Lawyers don't do that. It's a very different perspective, and it's taught very differently in law school. Very, very differently. I have it on good authority that that's the case. Um, if you if you want to know how accurate I am about that, I mean, just ask yourselves, how far askew have we gotten from the Constitution, and how has that been allowed to happen? Like, for example, uh, another another thing I mentioned before is separation of church and state. It's not in the Constitution. You can, you can read that document for the next 10,000 years of your life, if you could live that long, and you could micromanage every word on the page, and you could try to try to twist yourself like a contortionist try, intellectually trying to manipulate the words. But no matter how much or how long you did that, you would never be able to actually logically string together a reasonable, rational argument that separation of church and state is in the actual Constitution of the United States of America. The only reason people do it is, again, uh, law school. They, they, they simply read into the words whatever it is that they want to read into it. And like I, I, I talked about it before, like... They take the First Amendment, which is where they say they find separation of church and state, by the way, but it's simply not there. Um, and they say it so often, believe it or not, there are actually um, people in the United States who believe that those words are in the Constitution. They, they, and if you, if you challenge them on that and say that those words aren't in there, they will say, yes, they are. That's how long the lie has been told and how many times the lie has been told. People actually believe the words are on the page, and they're not. It's a sad commentary, but that's what happens when you get lawyers talking about the Constitution. They will just put a blank sp- they will they will they will put a page break and a blank line in the First Amendment and just write something on there that's not there. But I'm going to talk about that in a in, a, in another episode later on down the road, and it's going to be a fun discussion, believe me. Um, so I give you those examples just to show you, just to demonstrate that, yes, I do have some passing familiarity with what I'm talking about. And when I say that the federal government is fighting over a sandbox that doesn't belong to them, in other words, they are fighting over legal authority that they don't have. That's the kind of stuff I'm talking about. It's exactly what I'm talking about. They do it all the time. And if you don't know about it and you don't know what's going on, it's kind of hard to put a stop to it. You know, it's kind of hard to put on the brakes and say no more. So... That'll hopefully broaden the context of my my statement in the previous episode. Now, for this episode today, I am going to give you a rare advisory statement when we listen when you're listening to this episode. This this next section that we're going to talk about, uh, this letter from Doctor Franklin that he uh, th- he conveyed this letter in 1775. And before I get into it, I'll, I'll issue you an advisory, and, and basically it'll just be this. The things I say on this podcast are oftentimes not conventional. Uh, well, let me rephrase. They're not politically correct. They're not the kinds of discussions that people commonly have in an intellectual setting about the Constitution, the people who created it, and how they got from point A to point B, and how that history influences us, and how it reverberates with where we are at today. History repeats itself, and it is very likely that most of the people who listen to this episode of the podcast are going to find it difficult to listen to. That is very likely. And so if you if you have delicate sensibilities, 
And there are people who cruise into the podcast who have very delicate sensibilities. And it, it's usually a couple of things. Usually it's it's either TLDR, which is too long, don't read. In other words, the podcast just doesn't have the celebrity influence that they like to be able to become enthralled with the content. Or it isn't scintillating enough for them to be able to sit through an intellectual discourse about this particular topic. And I don't give a crap. Uh, this is not the this is not a podcast for people with low attention spans or the me- or the, the the memory retention of a goldfish. That that's not what this podcast is here for. That's that's what Twitter is for. But there's that kind of person, and then there's also the kind of person who who has a very politically correct view of the world and don't understand that reality and political correctness they don't mesh well with one another. They just don't. And the Founding Fathers really didn't live a politically correct lifestyle. They just lived reality. And it was hard and it was real. And because of what they were faced with, the tyrant, King George III, the tyrannical government, the tyrannical parliament, the oppression of a military that was dispatched to declare war against them, they didn't have time to to beat around the bush and to play games. They didn't really have a lot of time for that crap. And so on this podcast, neither do we. I have to be an effective messenger for the Founding Fathers as much as I possibly can be. And we're going to try that on this episode, and you folks let me know what you think about this when this is over. Uh, when this episode is done, in the next hour or so, you can let me know just how uh, how far off a field you think I am. Or if you think I'm spot on. And again, I'm going to be reading the words right off the page. And I'm just going to be putting it in a context. That's it. This is not This is not my message as much as it is Dr. Franklin's. Some people might disagree with my context that I try to provide, and that's fine, but you can't disagree. Well, you can, but you can't disagree that what I'm reading off the page is accurate, because you can go find the letter if you want to, and you can read it, and it is what it is. So why don't, what do you say we get started with Dr. Franklin, bring him on the podcast so he can educate us and teach us what we need to know, and let's do that right now. All right, so let's get into it. Yeah, that that advisory is really just for, I mean, that's on, honestly, I do it kind of for fun because I, I really do enjoy, I enjoy the crap out of causing people to confront reality with whatever illusions it is that they have dancing through their head about what this country is and what it's not. And the people who really know what this country is, there's two sides to that coin. The people who really understand what this country truly is either hate it with the fire of a thousand suns, and they, they, they will stop at nothing to see to it that it is beaten into the dust, into the ash heap of history. Or they mar- the other side of the coin marvels at the, at the United States of America. It's, it's, it's progress. It's ability to lift people up. Because of the opportunity it provides, the American opportunity, the American dream, so on and so forth. And I enjoy, I guess, making people see the reality of where we, where it is that we come from and what this country truly is. And, and how, how countries kind of go askew, like, like, uh, the, like Great Britain, like the British Empire did back in 1775. And Dr. Franklin's going to talk to us a little bit about that today. So let us begin. This is from Benjamin Franklin to a James Bowden, dated February 25th of 1775, again from London, as Dr. Franklin was still there. And I quote, I received your kind letter of September 6th by Mr. Quincy. I thought it might be of use to publish a part of it, which was done accordingly. But the measures it so justly censures are still persisted in. And will I trust continue to produce effects directly contrary to those intended? Will unite instead of dividing us, strengthen and make us more resolute instead of intimidating us, and work our honor and advantage instead of disgrace and ruin designed for us? End quote. He's speaking of the things that Parliament has done. Think of the intolerable acts and all of these bizarre things that the Parliament and the King have done over these last 70-plus episodes that we have talked about this issue on, on this podcast. What Dr. Franklin referred to in a previous episode as a violation of their Constitution. He referred to what, the, what Britain was doing as unconstitutional. What did I just say about, you know, the example that I gave you in the previous uh, section of the podcast? about unconstitutional. It's exactly what he was talking about. Isn't that interesting? What constitution? Well, we talk about that in previous episodes. If you haven't listened to those previous episodes, or if you don't remember, go back and listen to the library of episodes. It's very interesting stuff. And it's 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 probably going to be very important to you to listen to those previous episodes. If this is the if you just found this podcast and this is the first episode you're listening to, stop the tape right now, so to speak, and rewind 
and go back to the previous episodes. You don't have to start from episode one. Episode one is just an introduction episode anyway, but I would certainly start from like episode four and start working your way up. If you want to skip the first few episodes, that's fine. But he is clear that these tyrannical acts will unite the colonies, and he is right. He says it right here. Quote, I trust continue to produce effects directly contrary to those intended. Will unite instead of dividing us. Strengthen and make us more resolute instead of intimidating us. And work our honor and advantage instead of disgrace and ruin designed for us. End quote. Exactly. Exactly. So, so he, but listen to what he's saying. Quote, work our honor and advantage instead of the disgrace and ruin designed for us. It's all in the wording. Don't you hear it? He's saying that this is a design. Remember that previous episode I did about conspiracy theory versus conspiracy fact? You ever wonder why I brought that up? This is one of the reasons why. There is a game afoot here. A design. What is a design? It's a plan. Some may call it a conspiracy. And certainly if the same crowd were alive in 1775 that is alive today, people would have written it off as, oh, it's conspiracy theory. How dare you say that the King of England and the Parliament have a design for us? Oh, that's conspiracy. How dare you, Dr. Franklin? How dare you, you terrible individual, you, you absolute incompetent buffoon, Dr. Franklin? How dare you say that this is a design? It's truly a conspiracy theory. That's why I did that episode. There is such a thing as conspiracy. It happens a lot more often than people would like to admit, and it's not so much conspiracy theory as it is simply conspiracy fact. I gave you examples in that previous episode, and here is one right here. Somebody could easily call this a conspiracy theory, but Dr. Franklin would disagree. He refers to it as a design, a plan, intentional. So that means that the parliament, the king, the administration, the court, they intend a design of disgrace and ruin upon the American colonies. This is no joke. This is a deliberate plan set in motion and currently underway in 1775. There's no arguing this. We know it now because of 200 years of hindsight. We know that's what they were doing. I've provided documentation on this podcast that that's what they were doing. And if you understand what transpired in the middle of 1775 and beyond you know that Dr. Franklin is absolutely correct in what he is saying here. Conspiracy, it is. But conspiracy, fact, not theory. And if that hasn't caused a few people to leave this episode of the podcast yet, that discussion right there, oh, I'm only just getting started. Just getting warmed up here. Get ready for it, because it's coming. So he's clear that these tyrannical acts will unite the colonies, and I do believe he is right. And I wish the same could be said of us today. If any particular illegal act or any unconstitutional act would unite instead of divide. But when you have so many people who refuse to understand even what the Constitution is, because the Founding Fathers knew what their Constitution was. Dr. Franklin, when he says that what the British Parliament was doing was unconstitutional, and John Adams was saying the same basic thing, and so was George Washington, back when we were reading the letters from George Washington, they all seem to be in agreement. Now, how is that? How do all these people seem to be in agreement? Because they understood what their constitution was, they understood what their rights were and their laws, and the state delegations the, the, to the Continental Congress and all the rest of it, or excuse me, the, the colonial delegations to the Continental Congress, I keep saying states instead of colonies, and I keep, every once in a while I flub up and I say the, uh, the United States Congress instead of the Continental Congress, but there seemed to be a very large number of people that were all on the same page, and all the colonies seemed to be marching in roughly the same direction. Sometimes they argued about the method, but they all seemed to be marching in the same direction. And of course, when Declar the Declaration was actually signed, it was pretty much unanimous, you might as well say. There was no strong voice in the Congress of dissension from the Declaration. Not really. And there are people who disagreed with it, but as far on a on a colony level, they all kind of bound themselves together. Why do we have such a problem with that today? And I would argue in part it's because we don't read. That is to say, most of the country doesn't read the instruction manual to the Constitution. What is that? That's these letters right here. They don't understand what's in the Constitution. So when something happens that is violating the rights of the people, or is trampling inside of our sandbox, as I described on the previous episode, some people don't even know that that's wrong, or that the, the government shouldn't be doing that, 
or that a politician should not be doing that. They don't even know because they don't even understand where the where the where the lines in the sand are. They don't even understand. They don't understand what the rules are. They don't understand what the boundaries are. They don't. I mean, when you don't understand these things, you can begin to uh, see why the chaos that we see in the country today is so prevalent. And that the United States seems to be a ship at sea, and it doesn't even know what port it is sailing to. Because it doesn't even know what port it sailed from. It's just kind of there. It's as if the people in the boat slipped into a coma somewhere between the time it left port and the time it reached the middle of the sea and then just suddenly woke up with no memory of where they've been or where they're going. That's the United States of America today, I would argue. But that's not the Founding Fathers. They know exactly where they're going. I mean, doesn't Benjamin Franklin, when we read these letters, doesn't he sound very clear? Didn't John Adams and Abigail Adams seem very, very clear? That's the kind of clarity I wish we could find today, and maybe we can. But I don't think we will unless we listen to Dr. Franklin. So let's keep, uh, let's keep doing that. And I quote... A bill is now in hand to confine the trade of the four New England colonies to Britain and the West Indies only, and to prohibit their fishery. Other provinces have done as offensive things, but Whiggism is thought to be more thoroughly the principle of New England, and that is now an unpardonable sin. The rest, however, are to have their punishment in their turn, though, perhaps less severe. That is, if this Tory ministry continues in power, but though they have, by the late deceptive motion, amused many people here, so as to give an appearance as if they intend pacific measures, on which the stocks, which were falling apace, have risen again, yet when this deceit is understood, and time proves the intended offer to America futile and ineffectual, the redoubled clamor of the trading, manufacturing, and Whig interests here, will infallibly overthrow all enemies of America and produce an acknowledgement of her rights and satisfaction for her injuries, end quote. That, uh, that statement there towards the end is once again Dr. Franklin being very optimistic. He doesn't know that a military operation is currently being planned. The invasion of Massachusetts. It's already underway. He doesn't even know it. Because if he knew what was coming, if he knew what the government was getting ready to unleash upon him, and his people back in the colonies, he would not have said what he just said towards the end. He would have said the first part of it, but not the second. A war is coming, ladies and gentlemen. It's been coming for a long time because it was set in motion. I mean, Dr. Franklin mentioned it at the beginning of this letter. Quote, Will unite instead of dividing us, strengthen and make us more resolute instead of intimidating us, and work our honor and advantage instead of disgrace and ruin designed for us End quote. Designed. There is a design underway, and it is war. King is going to declare war on his own people. Now, this paragraph that I just read to you is significant in a few ways, but certainly one in particular. And I am going to go through this at great length and dissect it a piece at a time. I'm going to read the first part of this paragraph again so we can have it fresh in our minds and so you can listen to the words very specifically, such as they are. Quote, A bill is now in hand to confine the trade of the four New England colonies to Britain and the West Indies only, and to prohibit their fishery. Other provinces have done as offensive things, but Whiggism is thought to be more thoroughly the principle in New England, and that is now an unpardonable sin. The rest, however, are to have their punishment in their turn, though, perhaps less severe. That is, if this Tory ministry continues in power, end quote. So, maybe you have picked up on it, and maybe you have not, which is fine. Uh, when you're not reading it on the page and you're just listening to it, sometimes it does take a little bit more effort to really capture the words because you're not actually seeing them. Uh, I have the same issue when I'm listening to a, a podcast that's very demanding intellectually. But it mentions a couple of things here that are very fascinating. Whiggism. Now, what is Whiggism? Well, that's a political party, basically. It's a political movement. And he mentions the Tory ministry, right? What's the Tories? We've talked, we actually talked about the Tories before. It's basically the same kind of thing. Political party, political movement, political establishment. So we have two parties here. Let me say that again. We have two parties here. Does that sound familiar? Is anybody out there saying to themselves right now, my gosh, that sounds familiar? It's almost like history repeats itself. Oh my gosh, we got two parties here. Huh, 
That's odd. Who'd have thunk it? What a dink. That's kind of a slang term for coincidence, by the way, uh, for all you folks out there in uh, countries outside the United States. What a coincidence. And why do I say that, what a coincidence? Because do we have two parties in the United States today in 2022? Well, yes, we do. I mean, technically, there's more than that, but there's really only two that matter. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? Huh. The thing about history repeating itself is it doesn't tend to just repeat itself in tiny little pieces. It tends to it tends to repeat itself in big themes, big broad themes. Think about Napoleon's invasion of Russia, and then think about Germany's invasion of Russia a little more than a hundred years later. And I want you to think about the similarities. And I want you to think about what happened in both cases. In both cases, the Russian army eventually made it to the capital of the invading country. I mean, though the way the whole thing played out. Eerily similar to one another. Napoleon and Germany. Napoleon and Germany. Scarcely a hundred years apart, a little more than a hundred years apart. So similar in broad themes. And so very similar in its effect upon the people and the military that did it. Keep that in mind. We students of history understand these things. It's those people who don't study history yet that don't understand it. Good news, we're here to help. We are here, if, you, if you're on this podcast and you're, you're just getting into this, you're just getting involved in this, and you haven't yet begun to study history, and this is kind of, you're, you're dipping your foot into the, uh, into the ocean of history. We will help you. You are welcome here. The only people who are not welcome here are the people who just refuse to acknowledge history and to acknowledge the reality of the situation. That's it. Other than that, you're welcome. So we have two parties. Now, talking about this attack on New England... Why is the king and the parliament so after New England when there's the other provinces seemingly, according to Dr. Franklin, have done the same kinds of things? Quote, other provinces have done as offensive things, but Whiggism is thought to be more thoroughly the principle in New England. End quote. Now, that's interesting. So it's the Whiggism. That's the reason why. That's what Dr. Franklin says. It's not what I say. These are not my words. This is not my message. This is Dr. Franklin's message. Whiggism is the reason why. So it's a political party thing. So we have, I mean, listen, let's do, let's take this one more time. Quote, other provinces have done as offensive things, but Whiggism is thought to be the, be more thoroughly the principle in New England, end quote. Continuing on, quote, that is, if this Tory ministry continues in power, end quote. So we have one political party in power and one political party not in power. And the political party that is in power has effectively declared economic warfare upon an entire region of the empire that is most closely attributed to this other political party that they don't like. Does that sound familiar? I mean, I'm just asking the question. I'm asking the inconvenient question that nobody else will ask. I mean, I, I, I almost challenge you to find another podcast where this will be talked about in this manner. At this length, so far as we've talked about it in 70-plus episodes of this podcast. It's all building towards something, and this is one of those big themes. I have alluded to this before, and there's going to be another episode that I do in the not-too-distant future that is going to further elaborate on this situation that we see here in this letter. I've been planning this for some time. So we are talking about party-on-party -party hate. One party hates the other party. And, it, you know, it's almost too bad there's not a four-letter acronym for Whiggism. It's really too bad. They ought, to, they ought to try to shorten that up. I guess you could just say wig, W-H-I-G. Wigism sounds funny. I imagine I imagine some folks might get a chuckle out of that. Wigism. <laughs> um, it is kind of a goofy name, but it is what it is. So this party on party hate, you know, this is, gosh, this is a tale as old as time, isn't it? I mean, doesn't this just kind of happen throughout history over and over again? So why is it in the United States of America we think ourselves so unique, so special, that this kind of problem will never, ever visit us, or certainly not not your political party, I mean, or my political party, if I had one, I don't, by the way, but um, I don't know if you figured it out yet, but I, I, um, I have, I have, I've kind of beat around the bush with this for quite a while now, I, I hate political parties and everything that they stand for, I firmly believe them to be some manifestation of evil on this earth, and you're about to find out why. In case you've ever wanted to know, what is it with Roman? Why does he have it in for the parties? Oh, you're gonna find out. This war didn't get started by pure happenstance in 1775. It wasn't an accident that this war got started. Some people think it was. It wasn't. It wasn't an accident that ruin was brought to the American colonies. It was no accident at all. And we know that because it's not me saying that. 
It's Dr. Franklin saying that it's not an accident. Quote, instead of the disgrace and ruin designed for us, end quote. That word that he uses, designed, it doesn't just imply. It outright means this was intentional. And the, this party situation that we see here, this two-party situation, according to what Dr. Franklin is saying here, and according to what I have seen elsewhere, was very much a big player in that design. I want you to think about that the next time you even think about going out and casting a vote for a party. And no, I'm not being partisan when I say this, because I am, I am pointing in both directions when I say that. I am the most nonpartisan person you will probably ever listen to on a podcast. Or pretty close to it. I mean, you get the idea. I'm sure there's somebody else out there railing on it like I do, but few and far between. So if we still actually have anybody listening to the podcast at this point, let me, uh, let me, let me say this. And I hope that folks that the, the folks that are actually still listening to this episode, because uh, I imagine we probably lost about half the, uh, half the uh, study group at this point. This, this might be something to pay attention to. If you want to know what's going to happen tomorrow, and I'll say that one more time. If you want to know what's going to happen tomorrow, study what happened in the past. You know, when it comes to this, this thing about history repeating itself, you know, in, in a sense, we are, we are always really just moving toward yesterday. In, in, in the world, generally, not just the United States, but in the world. We're always just moving towards yesterday. People think we're moving forward, we're progressing, you know, this is a new era. Uh, the past does not define who we are, this, that, and the other thing. Well, you know, history disagrees with you. It disagrees with you rather strongly. And, you know, arguing with history is like trying to argue with gravity or something of that nature. Good luck with that. And really, you know, the story of mankind is really the story of people just doing the same things over and over and over again and making the same mistakes over and over again. And we see this before us. We, we hear in this letter the story of a two-party conflict, one trying to oppress the other because of this uh, unpardonable sin that, that they're talking about in here. I'll read that section to you again. Quote, The other provinces have done as offensive things, but Whiggism is thought to be more thoroughly the principle in New England, and that is now an unpardonable sin, end quote. Well, of course the other party would consider the other party one party would consider the other party to be an unpardonable sin. Of course they would, because that's that's what happens in these situations all the time. And it's not good. It's not healthy for a society to be going through this. That's why many, many episodes ago, I made that comment about how the United States every four years likes to tear itself apart to elect some lunatic to be president of the United States. And, and when I say lunatic, I'm not talking about the current or the former. I'm talking about all of them. Because in my humble opinion, every president that has served in office since I was born has been, has been varying degrees of a lunatic in some way, shape, or form or the other. And this country tears itself apart every four years for the purposes of just installing that person in power. And the question I would have, given this letter and the context of it and what Dr. Franklin is talking about, about the Tories trying to oppress the Whigs and basically de declaring economic warfare because of it, is it worth it? Is it worth supporting all of this crap that, that we try to do in this country with politics and whatnot? And, and what was going on in Great Britain at the time we're reading here, 1775? Was it worth it? Believe it or not, this kind of crap eventually leads to the military being dispatched out to kill people. You don't believe me? Crack open a history book and start reading. Start at April 19th of 1775 and work your way forward. Plain as day. And the question is, are we going to learn from, are we going to listen to Dr. Franklin and what he's trying to tell us here? Are we going to take the lessons? Or are we going to tell Dr. Franklin that he is uh, an incompetent moron and tell him to go pound sand because he doesn't know what he's talking about and just persist in what we're doing? Just continue on as we are in this country today. Because I'll, I'll, read, I'll, read, I'll, read, I'll read again to you exactly what's going to happen if we continue. Quote, A bill is now in hand to confine the trade of the four New England colonies to Britain and the West Indies only, and to prohibit their fishery, end quote. Now, that's specific to 1775, but what's the broad theme? The government, the parliament, has a bill in play to declare outright economic warfare upon the New England colonies. Now, you could say, well, Roman, you're being dramatic. It's not economic warfare. Yes, it is. They're restricting their trade, and they're cutting off their fishery. If that's not economic warfare, I don't know what is. This is a political party stunt 
declaring economic warfare upon a whole section of the colonies for no other reason than, quote, other provinces have done as offensive things, but Whiggism is thought to be the more, to be more thoroughly the principle in New England, end quote. So in other words, they're not doing this to the other colonies. They're just doing it to New England. Why? Quote, Whiggism, end quote. Political party. That's it. Party warfare. This is the kind of stuff that gets people killed. And I'm not talking about five or six people. I'm talking about people by the tens of thousands. Because that's exactly what happened. That's how I know that. I'm not making this crap up. I'm saying that because that's precisely what happened. But what about the rest of those colonies? What's going to happen to them? Are they going to be able to skate? Because they, they, uh, they aren't quite the Whigs that they are in New England? Quote, The rest, however, are to have their punishment in their turn, though perhaps less severe, end quote. Oh, the party ain't—basically, he's saying the party ain't over yet, folks. The folks in New England may be getting the brunt of this thing, but the rest of you, you're going to get yours. And you're going to get—and why is that? Because these people dare to disagree with the tyrant in some particular kind of way. Unless you engage in lockstep, one might say, unless you are goose-stepping behind the tyrant, you have to goose-step behind the tyrant to be able to avoid, quote, punishment, end quote. What a lovely society we have back in 1775, this King of England. What a humanitarian. And what about, oh, this parliament. What, how, what a lovely parliament. These politicians in parliament. A parliament that should be looking after the, uh, the good of the empire and the good of the people, which would be, of course, peace and harmony. These are the people who, in a previous episode, rejected peace by a vote, by a vast majority vote, refused a peace offering by the colonies, and requested by the businessmen, the merchants of Britain, flat rejected it. And is it possible that they did that because they were worked up in such a political fervor that they just couldn't help themselves because they were going after these Whigs in New England? Is it possible that these people's that, that these people in Parliament, their political ego was so important to them, they walked the British Empire into a civil war? And is it possible that the American people think that this cannot happen today? You think these lunatics couldn't walk us into a civil war? I've said it before, I'll say it again. There are 535 screaming lunatics that work in one town in this country. And you know who I'm talking about. Do you really trust those people to avoid this kind of thing? Because they couldn't avoid it in 1775. Parliament didn't want to avoid it. The king didn't want to avoid it. The military sure didn't want to avoid it, apparently. General Gage... He didn't want to avoid it. Not apparently. I think there were British generals who did, but not General Gage. He did it with a smile on his face. I think. That's my opinion. I wasn't there, but based on what I read, I think he did it with a smile on his face. Now, some people might think I've gone too far. Oh my gosh, Roman, how dare you? Oh, this is too far now. I'm never listening to your podcast again. How dare you? Talking about a two-party political system declaring economic warfare on four colonies. And oh my gosh, it's just so terrible. And comparing that with where we're at today in this country, the United States of America in 2022. How dare you, Roman? Oh my gosh, you're a sick, twisted individual. Oh my gosh, I just can't take any more of this. Oh my God. Yeah, I know. I've heard it all. I've been listening to that kind of crap most of my life. But tell me this doesn't sound familiar. I mean, if this doesn't sound familiar to you, then you're either living in a cave, or you've got the blinders on like nobody I've ever seen. And if you want to know what's going to happen tomorrow, study what happened in the past. And why am I saying all this? Why am I beating this thing to death? Why am I railing on this two-party BS that throughout history usually just ends up getting people killed? Why am I doing this? It's all just trying to convey Dr. Franklin's words to everybody out there today who needs to hear it. Because unless you understand how these things have come apart in the past, I mean, you could walk right down the road of destruction and not even know you're on it because you don't recognize the road signs, because you didn't read the book. If you don't read the book that describes what the road signs actually are and what they say and what they mean, you could drive down that road all day long and not know where you're going or where you're at. That's what happens when we don't study history. We have no idea where we're going or where we're at. Dr. Franklin's just providing for us a roadmap. That's all. Because believe me, if you, if you count on those 535 screaming lunatics in Congress to try to avert this kind of a crisis, it ain't going to happen. They're too busy cashing checks and buying mansions. Somewhere in between cashing checks and buying mansions, if you think they're going to spend any time at all worrying about this, you're delusional, in my opinion. So you have to pay attention to it. That burden falls on you. You have to try to avoid this kind of scenario. So like I've mentioned before, if there's ever an election in this country, and 
whatever political party it is that you happen to support wins, quote-unquote wins, whatever that means. And by the way, them winning doesn't exactly mean that you're winning. But if they win and, and your reaction is, woo, yeah, celebrate, let's throw a party, our political party won, you're probably doing the wrong thing. I've said that before. Probably not a good idea. Because this is the kind of crap that these people do, what Dr. Franklin is describing in this letter. This is what they do. This is not a game. This is life and death. So let us stay focused and stay focused on what really matters so that maybe we can realize what Dr. Franklin had hoped for in this letter when he says the following, quote, Yet, when this deceit is understood and time proves the intended offer to America futile and ineffectual, the redoubled clamor of the trading, manufacturing, and Whig interests here will infallibly overthrow all the enemies of America and produce an acknowledgement of her rights and satisfaction for her injuries, end quote. Let us hope for that. Now, that didn't happen for Dr. Franklin. Dr. Franklin, unfortunately, didn't get to see that outcome. He had to watch a war be waged in his backyard and his front yard, by the way. Not literally, but you get the idea. It was all over the colonies. People watched British troops march literally right across their front yard. I sure hope that doesn't happen to us because of stupid political party crap. I told you I was going to get into it. You know, I, 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 I was watching. I hate movie references. I really do. So I rarely use them in, in conversation. I much prefer to um, I much prefer to talk about real history. But this is actually a movie that was based on real history. Whether this line was ever actually said or not, I have no idea. But I'm going to reference the movie just because some of you will recognize it and you'll know what I'm talking about. And it provides um, it provides a good context. I really liked this line in this movie. There's a movie out there about Germany during the war in, in the 1940s. And an attempt that was made to assassinate uh, Der Fuhrer, if you know who I mean. I'm not going to mention his name. Uh, if you don't, if you don't know who Der Fuhrer is, then you you can go uh, read read a history book and find out. But the the movie was called Valkyrie, uh, a good movie. I recommend it. A lot of people hated it, but most people hate history movies generally speaking. So that didn't surprise me. For the same reason they hate reading history books. But the 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 lead character in the movie, uh, a Colonel Stauffenberg, he says to somebody, it's at the very beginning of the movie, so you won't have to watch it for very long to get this. He says, "You can serve Germany." Or you can serve the Fuhrer, but you cannot serve both. And that was true. And that's why I used the reference, because it's, it's not just a movie. It's a true statement. I don't know if anybody said it at the time. I'm sure somebody probably did in Germany at the time, but because there were a lot of people who felt that way. You can serve Germany or you can serve the Fuhrer, but you cannot serve both. I would say this, and boy, this is going to be controversial to say, but I don't give a crap. You can serve America or you can serve the party, but you cannot serve both. Does that make sense? I'll say it one more time, just so we can let that simmer. You can serve America, or you can serve the party, but you cannot serve both. And I mean that when I say it. I'm not just saying that as some kind of a, a flippant reference to that movie or to Germany in the 1940s. I'm being dead serious when I say that. I truly believe that, that that statement that I just said was 100% factual. Now, people, reasonable people can disagree with me. Oh, Roman, it's not that bad. Oh, don't say that. It's not that bad yet. Oh, my gosh. Oh, how dare you, Roman? How dare you say that? This is not the time for those kind of... Well, you know what? I don't care. This is the United States of America. We have freedom of speech for now. And I will say it because it's what I truly believe. You can serve America or you can serve the party. And I don't care which one you're talking about. I'm not, I'm not selecting out one particular thing here. I'm talking about all of them. All of them. I'm not talking about one. Some people are going to think, oh, is he talking about the one party? No, I'm not. I'm talking about all of them. I don't give a crap. They're all bad all the time because they all lead inevitably to the same conclusion. Why, Roman, what conclusion would that possibly be? Quote, the disgrace and ruin designed for us, end quote. That's what I'm talking about. You can serve America or you can serve the party, but you cannot serve both. I, I don't know if you even if you disagree with me on that. I want you to just let that simmer for a few days. Just let that resonate for a few days and just quietly think about it. And after a few days, if you still disagree with me, I'm fine. We can still be good friends. But, or not, your choice. But um, perhaps in time, you will begin to see things as I have. It took me quite some time to come to that conclusion. It didn't happen overnight. I had to read a lot of books, and I had to read a lot of the Founding Fathers, mostly John Adams, to be able to come to that conclusion. It took a long time. And I don't make any friends by saying that. I don't make any friends at all. When you end up in when you end up in a political struggle like like a lot of countries do, when you say something like what I just said, all you do is paint a target on your back. 
Because it doesn't matter if one particular side wins or not, you're still you're still on the losing end of that thing, if you know what I mean. So I'm certainly not going to be popular by saying it, but I believe it to be the truth. And I believe that's why certain of the Founding Fathers were so adamant in telling us to stay away from the parties. Don't do it. Now, some of them walked us right into the party system. Some of the Founding Fathers did, because even the Founding Fathers are stupid some of the time. But a discerning individual can tell the difference. And the ones that were coherent most days understood that this was going to be a problem. And heck, even some of them that walked us into the party system, on the one hand, warned us against it, but on the other hand, helped participate. And it's a bit like a smoker who tells who tells the people around him, no, don't start smoking. <laughs> Meanwhile, he smokes two packs a day. He smokes like a chimney. Same kind of thing. He sounds like a hypocrite, but really, he just found himself trapped in something he couldn't get out of. See how that works? And whatever you do, I, I, I certainly hope that you don't find yourself trapped into something you can't get out of. Now, there's a final paragraph in this letter from Dr. Franklin. And let's finish this up before we conclude this episode of the podcast. Quote, If we continue firm and united and resolutely persist in the non-consumption agreement, this adverse ministry cannot possibly stand another year. And surely the great body of our people, the farmers and artificers, will not find it hard to keep an agreement by which they both save and gain. The traders only can suffer. And where they do really suffer... Some compensation should, if possible, be made to them. Hitherto, the conduct of the colonies has given them great reputation all over Europe by a brave perseverance with prudence and moderation, not forward in acting offensively, but resolute in defiance when necessary. They will establish a respectable character both for wisdom and courage, and then they will find friends everywhere. The eyes of all Christendom are now upon us. And our honor as a people is become a matter of the utmost consequence to be taken care of. If we tamely give up our rights in this contest, a century to come will not restore us in the opinion of the world. We shall be stamped with the character of dastards and poltroons and fools and be despised and trampled upon, not by this haughty, insolent nation only, but by all mankind." Present inconveniences are therefore to be borne with fortitude and better times expected, end quote. My God, he could have been writing of us. He could have been writing of us, quote, if we continue firm and united, end quote. Does anything about the United States today seem firm and united? I mean, we, we hardly can stand, even live up to our name. United States of America? Can we even live up to our name? Hardly. Some days yes and some days no. But these are the aspirations of Dr. Franklin. He didn't just aspire to this noble goal for the colonies in 1775. I firmly believe that he and many of the other founding fathers aspired to this for all of America for all time. I do thoroughly enjoy this line, quote, The eyes of all Christendom are now upon us, end quote. Christendom. Now there's a line and a word that you do not hear very often anymore in the United States of America. One more time, loud and proud. Quote, The eyes of all Christendom are now upon us. End quote. There's that separation of church and state again. Christendom, by the way, if, for those folks, because I, I have to explain what Christendom is. I feel like I do. Because there's going to be so many people in my generation and the younger generations behind me that have no clue what that even means. Because it's, such, it's so distant in the past of the United States of America, what Dr. Franklin is saying can't even be understood by a current generation in the world, perhaps. Because when was the last time you heard somebody utter the word Christendom? For me, it's been a long time, and I keep my ear to the ground. I've heard it not, not that long ago, probably within the last year, maybe once, but that's not nearly as often as you used to hear it. Christendom was this idea of all Christian lands. So he was talking largely about the Western world, Europe, and the colonies in 1775. And that, you know, kind of continued for a long time the way people saw the world after 1775, but has uh, seemingly died out in recent years. But there are some great lines in this uh, in this paragraph, just fantastic. Uh, this is classic Founding Fathers type stuff. Quote, Hitherto the conduct of the colonies has given them great reputation all over Europe by a brave perseverance with prudence and moderation. Not forward in acting offensively, but resolute in defense when necessary. They will establish a respectable character for both wisdom and courage, 
and then they will find friends everywhere, end quote. Now, that's a good positive sentiment from Dr. Franklin, and I would say that's the kind of thing that we should live up to. And how do we do that? Well, I mean, here's some clues right here, quote, with prudence and moderation, end quote. It's kind of like that word virtue that keeps... I'm surprised he didn't throw it in there in this particular line. He usually does. But it's like that word virtue that gets thrown around all the time. Prudence, moderation, virtue. If you want to know how to create this world that Dr. Franklin is talking about, where everything is moving in the right direction with America, just listen to what he's saying. Prudence and moderation. Now, now, riddle me this. Does prudence and moderation, does that describe those 535 screaming lunatics in Washington, D.C.? Does that describe them? Because, I don't know, I don't know about you, but I've been watching those people for quite a long time, more than 20 years, and I can tell you that don't describe them, in my opinion. So, methinks we have a problem here. Thus, my whole argument in the preceding section of this podcast episode. But what happens if we don't, quote, continue firm and united, end quote, or have the, quote, prudence and moderation, end quote, that Dr. Franklin describes. Well, he gives us the answer, and that's what I love about Dr. Franklin. Quote, if we tamely give up our rights in this contest, a century to come will not restore us in the opinion of the world. We shall be stamped with the character of dastards and poltroons and fools and be despised and trampled upon, not by this haughty, insolent nation only, but by all mankind. End quote. You know, and my contention is, if, if, the, if the United States of America continues as it is today, with the division tearing itself apart every four years, the stupid party politic game that we play in this country, that's our future. Congratulations. I hope it was worth it. I hope it was worth it to go to the political rally and, and, and cheer for your favorite political candidate. Yay! Woo! Yeah. Let's uh, celebrate that. Yay! Woo! Yay for the party. Uh, we serve the party. Woo! I hope it was worth it. Now, I could be wrong, but I get this sneaking suspicion that I'm not. But good news, if you disagree with me, leave a review on the on the podcast on under Apple Podcasts, and I will bring that onto the, uh, onto the program. Or if you agree, leave a review on Apple Podcasts, and I'll bring that onto the program as well. Now, before we're done for the day, I will conclude my remarks in the next section of this episode. Let's do that right now. Speaking of movies, I actually had this thought to uh, to do movie reviews on this podcast at one point about uh, movies set during this time period, uh, Revolutionary War type movies. There's a few, actually more than a few that I've seen, and uh, I don't know if I'd ever do that. Honestly, I kind of I kind of keep kicking the idea around. If anybody actually does want to see that kind of thing, another well, more specifically, listen to that kind of thing, uh, my reviews on movies from this time that are set in this time period, anyway. Leave a review on the podcast, let me know, and I'll, I'll keep kicking the idea around until then. What's the lesson to be learned from this episode? Yeah, obviously, the, the big ticket item that I, that I drilled on seemingly endlessly was the, the two-party conflict that you see developing in this letter. I mean, developing, I mean, it had been going on for a long time, but you see coming to a head in New England as the, uh, the parliament, and I, I'm dead serious when I say this, was basically gearing up for economic warfare against the New England colonies for no other reason, according to Benjamin Franklin, than a political party dispute. I mean, this is this is the death of countries. This is how this is how we do this. And I, I marvel at how people just keep doing it century after century, year after year, week in and week out. I mean, this is just normal. And I, I marvel. And is it just because we can't come up with a better way to do it? Is it because we're just too ignorant to figure out a way? All I know is, is it doesn't help America, and honestly, and this is the case for those of you listening in countries around the world, it's not helping you either. I mean, having this same kind of crap go on in your country ain't helping you, in my opinion. You would do, you would do well to try to extract yourself from it and to try to limit greatly the, the influence of such things within your society. And I think we can do better. I think we can live up to the aspirations of Dr. Franklin in this letter, the, the positive things that he was talking about, about what, how he sees the colonies moving forward. The, the bright light that he sees in front of him of what could be America and what did eventually become America, of course, after the war was over and many thousands of people were dead. The idea is, is to try. I think what he, what he was obviously in this letter and every other letter we've read that really talks about this, they're trying to make this this positive future happen without having to fight a war, without having to deal with this kind of oppression and tyranny problem that they ran into was, again, the parliament said no. 
were not doing it the peaceful way. He mentioned that in this letter. And I've said it before, you know, the, the King of England, Great Britain, he could have risen above the politics. He could have risen above all of it and become became a great peacemaker and unified the empire and strengthened it and realized this great future that Dr. Franklin saw here. But he didn't. Why? Because power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely. He was drunk on power. He had political enemies, such as he saw them, in the colonies. They were getting in his way. He just wanted to get things done. Get out of the way. We just got to get things done. That sounds familiar. I, uh, you remember a number of episodes ago when I talked about executive orders and how uncomfortable it is to listen to the rhetoric around executive orders in this country? You know why I say things like that? Because it sounds so familiar. That's why. Dr. Franklin was the wise old man of the founding generation. And I absolutely enjoy listening to Dr. Franklin every chance I get. I think he was a, a fantastic individual to learn from on these issues. Now, if I want to be a good family man, I'm probably going to go listen to somebody else, not Dr. Franklin. But if I want to know how a society should conduct itself, generally speaking, politically, from a government standpoint, I'm going to listen to Dr. Franklin. Because he seems to know what the heck he's talking about. He start, he's making a lot of sense. At least I think so. Do you disagree? And if you disagree, good news. Leave a review on the podcast. Let me know where you disagree with Dr. Franklin. Or if you agree with him, leave a review on the podcast. Let me know where you agree with him. We can talk about that too. So I hope you, you found this, this episode informative. I hope it got the wheels turning, as uh, we always hope for when we read anything from the Founding Fathers. The Founding Fathers do that to me all the time. I'll start reading something from one of them, and it just gets the wheels in my head turning. It really does. And I really sometimes become enthralled with what they're saying. And I try to imagine all of these different issues that they're talking about from their perspective. But I also have that 200 years of hindsight, so I know how it played out. I know what happened. And, and that's, what, that's how I know how right they are in so many ways. I know that the Founding Fathers are so right about so many of these things because I understand what transpired. In 1775, I don't know if the Founding Fathers really understood whether they were right or wrong all the time. They seemed resolute, though. They seemed very determined that they had the right course, and they, they ended up being correct. They tried everything they could to keep their rights and their freedoms. Because they viewed them as being so important, so much more important than anything else, the rights and freedoms. And that's why I say we must look to the Bill of Rights today, that First Amendment, and all the others, and hold those as important to us as the Founding Fathers viewed their freedoms, their liberties, their rights as important to them. Because of what Dr. Franklin said at the end of his letter on this episode, if we just give all that up, we are going to be seen as fools around the world. Because who would give this up when so many people fought for so long to have those rights, why would we give it up? And why would we so blithely hand it over to 535 screaming lunatics in Congress? That should be the last thing we do. You got to hold on to that. You got to hold on to that Bill of Rights. You got to hold on to that Constitution. Because in there, we're trying to build a framework where we can all work together, continue as a society, and have good government. Limited government. Government that stays in its sandbox and doesn't leave so that we can be left alone to do what we do, which is get up in the morning and go to work, and do so with as few limitations and impediments as possible, so that we can build a country, so that we can build a society, so that we can make it prosperous for people who aren't even born yet, without 535 lunatics trying to put their thumb on the scale, which is what they do all the time. And I don't know about you, but I am sick and tired of them putting their thumb on the scale. Don't celebrate these people. They don't deserve it. The people who deserve to be celebrated are people like Dr. Franklin, who helped give us the opportunity, who put everything on the line. They risked everything to give us the opportunity. So let's give them our attention, and let's listen to the lessons that they have to teach us. And I certainly hope to see you on the next episode of this podcast. I hope you will return, and we will continue our discussions about these issues, and a great many more, as the days, weeks, months and years roll by on this podcast. You know, actually, we, we're coming up on a year. I've done this podcast. It's actually pretty close to a year. It'll be a year within the next week or so. It was roughly Columbus Day last year time frame that uh, I launched the podcast. And it, it actually is amazing that, I, that, that um, I've 
kept it going, I guess, in some ways, but not so amazing in others. I mean, it's it's a it's a passion of mine. I I, I certainly enjoy doing it, but more specifically, I, I really appreciate that you folks are here to participate in listening to Dr. Franklin with me, because it would really be really, you know, fruitless if I was the only person on this podcast just reading the letters and nobody was listening. And Dr. Franklin didn't have an audience to talk about what was going on in 1775 and what this parliament was really doing and how terrible it really was. But because you're here, because you're listening to the words of Dr. Franklin, his message is not dead. That letter lives on, and it lives on in you. And that's a great thing. And I hope that you carry that with you out into the world and share the message of Dr. Franklin with other people. So with all that said, this is Roman signing out. Thank you.